Welcome to Spin Class, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. It's been quite a day here at the Nachum Siegel Network, to say the least. Uh, an amazing presentation of Album of the Week. I want to thank Mayor Furtig for a great stunt show, uh, which had to do with some uh, very important issues, especially in light of the uh, first anniversary coming up of uh, Superstorm Sandy. I want to thank um, Yigal Siegel, the uh, Homeward Bound program, which concentrates on Aliyah. Great stuff. I want to thank uh, David Lieberman, Dr. David Lieberman, for joining me between 1 and 2 o'clock on Thursdays. Great material on uh, sound advice. Really a great Thursday here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And now it's time for Spin Class. Spin Class uh, concentrates on the world of politics. Spin Class has a uh, a host. His name is Michael Fragan. And Michael Fragan will join us. Not as host today, but as somebody who's very involved in the Joe Loda campaign for mayor. Uh, spin class has been uh, really Michael's baby from the very beginning of our network schedule last year. And uh, he has uh, been forced, not any regulation or anything like that, just a time commitment. He's been forced to take time off from spin class during the month of October so he could work on the Loda campaign. And he will return, please God. Two weeks from tonight, uh, when Spin Class will return on November the 7th. In fact, it'll be fascinating to hear him in conversation November the 7th discuss the election, the campaign, the aftermath, etc., etc. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, so today and then on the 31st of October, which is next Thursday, you'll have me as your host, and I thank you for that. So we, um, uh, Michael Fragan always checks in with us at some point, and we'll certainly uh, speak about the mayoral a campaign from his vantage point uh, as there are only 12 days left to the whole kit and caboodle, which is really hard to believe, but that's the reality. There is very little time left in this campaign. and I think one of the, um, and I'll mention this to Michael, I, I think one of the um, feelings that a lot of people are getting is that uh, too many New Yorkers are simply not on <laughs> not focused at all on the election. And I mean that among potential Loda voters and among potential de Blasio voters. I think people are just not engaged in everything that's happening. And um, the question is, will that change at all in the next 12 days? That's really the question. I think I think the bigger st- uh, story than the um, the lead that de Blasio has in the polls and uh, the different um, uh, strategies that are being utilized by each candidate, the debates, etc., etc. I think the bigger story is the potential turnout. Do enough New Yorkers really not care about this change in government? I said to my wife last night, we were talking about uh, the fact that... Um, that this race is really of, it seems, of little interest to anybody or to most people. And I mentioned to her, I said, the uh, w- what's remarkable to me about the whole thing is we've seen mayoral races that are relatively unattractive to people. We've seen races where this type of uh, blasé attitude prevails. But I don't remember it without an, an incumbent. I don't remember a, a, a race like this where there seems to be such disinterest and there's no incumbent in the race. The 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 seats the, the seat of government 
in New York City is being completely changed. There's um there's <laughs> there's a change in City Hall. How is it possible that people are so disinterested? So that to me is really the focus of all this. Um everybody who's everybody who's curious about what the outcome's going to be and if anybody's if any group is going to push the voter turnout higher than expected to me the big shock is how there's no incumbent in this race and for 12 nights before November the 5th for the city of New York to be so completely i don't know uh ambivalent about the whole thing is just an absolute shock uh this morning joe lodo is with us at jm in the am and I'll, I'll talk more about it later on especially when michael's going to be joining us michael fragan is of course the regular host of spin class here at the nahum siegel network uh but dr ari cornblit has agreed to join us tonight we're going to do something a little bit different this is not analysis or um well, it is analysis. It's not analysis of the elections or discussion about what's going on in Jersey or the Senate or city council or assembly or anything else. This segment with Dr. Ari Kornblit is going to be about an article he wrote, um, paying careful attention from his standpoint uh, to the signatures of Bill de Blasio and Joe Loda. That's what he did. And you'll see, I believe it's page six of the Jewish press that just was... Um, uh, released yesterday on the newsstand, and it's probably in the majority of your mailboxes already. Uh, he has an article entitled Making the Right Choice, W-R-I-T-E, and uh, that's what the article's about. And obviously he's a handwriting analyst, and he'll be able to uh, shed some light on all this. Dr. Ari Kornblit, welcome to Spin Class on the Nahum Siegel Network. Good evening. Pleasure to speak with you. Dr. Kornblit is a licensed psychotherapist in private practice, a graphologist, handwriting expert, and a Supreme Court certified document examiner. Uh, he is uh, joining us live via telephone on this Thursday night. Who brought this concept to you, by the way? Or is this something whenever high profile people are, uh, you know, coming to the crescendo of their, uh, of their run or of their campaign, you, uh, normally take out copies of their signatures and start analyzing them carefully? I've been doing this for years and years. Uh, Public figures, both Americans, Israelis, and uh, but but what I mean is that, in other words, when someone becomes big in the news, you're you you head straight to analyzing their handwriting. Absolutely, simple as that. And it is is it difficult to become a handwriting analyst? It's uh, extremely difficult. It's years and years of study, and uh, frankly, it's constant study. Constant re-examination of your skills and uh, picking up new skills and new insights. All right, before we ask you specifics, did you learn a lot about these two candidates from handwriting analysis, or most of what you learned has been reported about them in other contexts? There is nothing that I've written that is not based solely, 100%, on their handwriting. And that is it. So if you have a... A personality trait that you claim somebody has, or I don't know, what what else could it be besides personality traits? What other things can we learn from someone's handwriting? Everything. 
You can uh, tell whether they're intellectual or otherwise. You can tell uh, their mental health, their physical health, believe it or not. You can tell their degree of honesty or dishonesty. Wow. You can tell their degree of motivation, uh, what does motivate them. You can tell all about their uh, instincts, what they like, and that's true in terms of uh, material likes, uh, physical pleasures, etc., etc. I mean, when you say everything, can you tell if someone's athletic or not based on their handwriting? You can tell if there's a physical deformity. You can tell if someone likes uh, to work out physically. Unbelievable. And I guess it's a, a little too much for us to... Try to learn this all in a few minutes. That would be impossible. Oh, why not? <laughs> why not? I'm sure. Who is there a prototypical example? Doctor Ari Kornblit is with us via telephone. Is there an example of somebody who's who where it really is easy to teach us or give us an example? In other words, there the qualities that you've learned or that you've observed from their handwriting or from their signature is so blatant and so obvious based on the signature that it just jumps out as a great example? Well, first, a caveat. I never will uh, ideally provide a uh, an analysis just based on a signature. However, since we're talking about signatures, the right. idea is there is no part of our handwriting that we devote more time to and practice more than our signature. A signature is essentially how we want to appear to the world. And that's across the board, whether someone thinks they're going to be famous or not. Everyone's always practicing their autograph. Right. Uh, Do you know that autographs change? You know, they change Uh, over the years. They change when someone decides to start the autograph or the signature in a different style. Yes and no. It may appear, just like handwriting, people say, oh, my handwriting is different. But there are so many uh, aspects to the handwriting, whether it's the size of uh, the capital letter vis-a-vis the, the, uh, uh, the small letter, whether it's how much you go above the line, how much you go below the line, the space between one word and the other. There are so many factors that go into it. Uh, in this particular case, uh, what is very clear, for example, is the fact of how they hug the line or don't hug the line. Mm-hmm. There's some people that can't write on the line on line paper, and there's some people whose handwriting is absolutely straight, even on online paper. And that's a very critical thing here when we're dealing with a signature. Right, especially in this case with the two candidates. Right. The examples that are given uh, in the Jewish Press article, because the, the, the actual signatures, or I should say, uh, you know, a facsimile of the signatures are provided to accompany the article, are those, uh, would you call both of those relatively straight signatures? No. They're not? Absolutely not. Because Lotus is quote-unquote on the line. That's exactly right. And Bill de Blasio is anything but on the line. Interesting. All right. What if I told you this? What if I told you that there are times that I sign something in a signature that I've been using as my official document signature? Let's put it that way. Then if I'll sign an autograph for somebody or an acknowledgement or a thank you to somebody, I'll use a what I call my, you know, my more modern, cooler way of signing something. And when I'm signing my kids' homework assignments... If you saw that one, you, you, I think you would think it's a, a third and completely different one. So even with those separate elements, you're saying that there are consistencies throughout all three. There are more consistencies than non-consistencies. They're, they're, they're absolutely consistent to the trained eye of, of uh, 
someone who knows handwriting. Unbelievable. All right. Um, when I asked earlier about a prototypical example, is there a president, an athlete, somebody we all would have heard of, uh, who is, you know, has, has some, has one of the elements, one of the things you look for that's so blatant that, you know, it fits perfectly with their personality? Or, or is that also something you can't discuss randomly like that? Oh, sure. Okay, so, uh, so Ronald Reagan or Michael Jordan or Babe Ruth, is there one particular thing about any of those signatures that you could tell us that blatantly tell us something about that person's personality? Oh, positively. People that are in the limelight will usually write their first letter very large, disproportionately large. That's a given. Those are people who love the limelight, seek the limelight, thrive in it, but I'm just thinking. I think I think I've seen a lot of famous people whose signatures begin with the opening letter being as small as the others. Um, they may not like the limelight, but those who love the limelight, whether it's movie stars or politicians, generally have a very large uh, first letter. Okay, and that's only the first letter. What what about the signature? Uh- of, of the first name and last name. Right. What about the signature in general being large, like the famous John Hancock signature? Right. And, and that's an interesting thing, too, it, to compare the size of the signature vis-a-vis the writing. There's some people whose handwriting is one size and the signature is smaller. That indicates how they see themselves, unfortunately. And there's some people whose handwriting is far, the signature is far larger than the handwriting. And that's how they want to appear. I'm la- there's some that are exactly the same size. What you see is what you get. Yeah, I'm laughing to myself a bit only because when I sign one of my kids' assignments as a, I don't know, I think it's as a joke, I'll often, you know, <laughs> take up the entire page with the first letter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh-oh. I, not, I, uh-oh. I, should never, I should never have admitted that. There's huh? nothing wrong with that quality. What's wrong? It just happens to be. Right. Remember, it's not the hand that's writing. It's the brain that's writing. Right. The vehicle is the hand, and the hand is using a pen. Dr. Ari Kornblit is with us. In addition to being a licensed psychotherapist, he is a graphologist, a handwriting expert, and a Supreme Court certified document examiner. I'll get to de Blasio and Loda in a minute, especially regarding the article that you wrote. But what does that mean, a Supreme Court certified document examiner? What type of documents are we referring to? Um, primarily whether documents are forgeries, documents are rendered by the same individual. So if I go ahead, and or if anybody goes ahead and actually forges a document and signs someone else's name, right, which I guess would be the height of forgery, you'd be able to tell. Yes. And that and that would be based on looking at their own handwriting, meaning the person who's being forged, their handwriting through other documents. Yes. Is that hard for you to do at this point, or a lot of this stuff is easy for you? Because Sometimes it's very hard. Even with your expertise? Oh, absolutely. Some forgeries are, are done very, very well. And that would mean also if I brought, and I don't know your expertise in collectibles, but if I brought you, you know, baseball signed by Mickey Mantle, you'd be able to tell at this point if he really signed it or not? Absolutely. Wow. See, the irony about hand, about signatures is that sometimes if it's too perfect, the imitation is too perfect, it's a fake. Because we never sign it 100% the same way. So it must the be- elements might be the same, but if, otherwise it's a tracing. So you know it must really be easy for you, and you'll tell me if I'm right, uh, uh, being able to tell if one of those uh, machines that they have in the United States Congress that signs, you know, senators and congressmen's names to letters and to, you know, autograph pictures for kids and stuff like that, in a moment you'd be able to tell, right? 
Sure, all 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 politicians. Yeah, so if it's machine, those machines. so if it's machine made, that's a joke for you. Oh, for sure, everyone knows that's that's the official signature. Have you seen multiple the Blasio and Lotus signatures, or are the t- or are the two of them consistent in the way they sign autographs and documents? They are consistent. Me- meaning, it's uh, the Blasio's really really the same every single time. Right, but one needs to indicate. I need to add something about the Blasio. Yeah. That is not his original name, you know. Oh, that's correct. Correct. And you can tell that in the way he signs it. You see? And that would be because, I'm looking at his signature, right. that would his, be because. His name at first was uh, Warren Wilhelm Jr. Right. And then he uh, took on his mother's maiden name. Correct. So if you take a look, the smoothness or the connection between his first name and de Blasio versus Joseph Loda, like one name flows into the other. And Joseph Lotus, with Bill de Blasio, there is a space, there's a larger space between Bill and then de Blasio. That's true. That is true. So that's not a smooth connection. Bill de Blasio, you write, is imaginative and exudes enthusiasm and a spirit of adventure. In all due respect, how would one see that from what looks like, I think my English teacher would say, that it's a, a, a relatively sloppy signature, how would one go ahead and conclude that he is, in fact, an imaginative and enthusiastic spirit of, of adventure type of guy? One of the indications is the very large loops, whereas uh, Joseph Lotto has no loops. Except the J. Would you call that a loop or not? That's that's below the line. That's totally different. So does, oh gosh. So it has a, a, a complete... The imagination is indeed what's called the upper zone. So it's below, zone is a different kind of a. So it's below the line. It's a, just a completely different category, so to speak. Absolutely. You continue with De Blasio. You could tell that he's intelligent and ambitious. Absolutely. Intelligence hinted is hinted to you by what aspect of his signature? There are many things there, but the most important is what's called the upper zone. The letters go up very high. But it, it seems like a relatively small, disproportionate. You see. Usually the capital letters or the letters that do go up are supposed to go up twice as high. Right. Sometimes less. This is more than twice as high as what I call the middle zone letters. Wow. Those letters that don't go up. So the D in de Blasio is higher than the E, which follows it. More than double. The L, for example, in Blasio is much, much higher. That indicates not only imagination, but uh, very uh, great intelligence. Um, Joseph Lodo is also extremely intelligent. Yeah, and that you could tell also from his... Uh, the height of the what's called the upper zone. You write that Loda has his emotions kept under strict control at all times, his behavior restrained almost to the point of rigidity. Now, of course, those of us who are following the campaign closely, I don't think we have any trouble agreeing with that. Uh, but why is that? It's just a, it, it, is it the neatness? Is it the regimented letter after letter of his signature that tells you that? Number one, no imagination. The letters are just strict lines, just going up and going down, one line over the other. There is a tremendous amount of, uh, it's almost formality. Right. It's a very, there's no deviation almost, you see. With Bill de Blasio, there's a lot of swinging back and forth. A letter faces this way, a letter faces that way. With Loda, it's strictly, it's almost on the line. When you write about Loda, you say when he decides on a goal, nothing will stop him from pursuing it. 
a lot of people a lot of people say that about de Blasio, but is that element missing from his? Absolutely not. Well, de Blasio can change his mind from one moment to the next. Ah, uh, meaning okay. Now I know what you mean by pursuing. Does it for experience? Right. right. And, uh, so you're not talking about ambition in general. You're talking about a specific task or goal. He could change midstream. You're saying. Right. They're both very ambitious. Right. And very intelligent. He, meaning Loda, is like a horse wearing blinders, seeing nothing but the goal. No doubt he'll follow through on what he starts out to do. That's right. Um, For those of us, I'm not looking for you to endorse anybody. Uh, We don't even have to talk about this race for the next couple of minutes. But in general, someone like yourself with your expertise, I mean, if, if someone you know, if someone dear to you is about to get engaged, do you ask to see the 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 other party's parent signatures because you'll be able to tell? Yeah, that's what people hire me for. You're but serious. You'll come as well, but also for um, you know for career choices and for uh, hiring. Before people hire someone, they'll, they'll send me the signature and say is that person trustworthy, uh, motivated. And you'd have the guts, if need be, in your opinion, to tell someone this engagement or potential engagement should not go any further. I. Only look at the handwriting. I can only tell them what the handwriting says. I know nothing. Oh, I'm, right. That's right. I, I apologize. That's what I meant. In other words, you yeah. you would not hesitate to tell them something that might make them say it's time to end this thing. I tell them exactly what the handwriting tells right. me. And if that and if that indicates something to them that they feel the change is necessary, let them go ahead and do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Um, without mentioning any names, do you think in this race? One candidate may be more honest or truthful or uh, reliable than another. You see, there are two ways to look at it. Yes, there's certainly one that stands out in terms of his honesty. It doesn't necessarily mean he would make a better mayor than the other. Correct, but if someone, if someone like yourself, uh, you know, sitting around one night and says, "You know what? I want to vote for the more honest guy," then you'd have a choice. You'd be it's able to make a that clear choice. You'd but be if able you to... want someone in terms of creativity. In terms of natural leadership skills, then there's someone else. And both of them strike me as people with great leadership skills. Absolutely. Oh, okay. So, 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 not, so you just said that if you don't want someone with leadership skills, you may have to choose the other guy. That may not necessarily be true. Both of them could could have good leadership skills, good qualities. Right. But as I said, one one is one is more driven by the next job. Versus one is uh, driven by doing the very best in the job that you're uh, assigned to. Would you mind if I gave your phone number to our listeners if they wanted to contact you? Oh, please. Uh, Dr. Ari Kornblit, licensed uh, psychotherapist, graphologist, handwriting expert, and Supreme Court certified document examiner is at 212-721-4608, 212-721-4608. And um, a crazy question. In general, can you tell? Because you mentioned you could tell athletics, even to that point where you could tell the type, the type of things that this person does in their spare time. Let's put it that way, right? You'd be able to, to take a guess at that based on handwriting analysis. Right. You can tell if someone loves, has a physical outlet. Right. Uh, how about this? Can you tell if, if someone was a vegetarian? Is that something that you'd pick up in handwriting analysis or in signature analysis? Not or if somebody, if somebody had a, uh, you know, a, a a favorite food or a favorite category. Would any of that come through? Only if there's drippings on the paper. <laughs> I, mean, I, I haven't yet found out how to do that. 
What is the craziest thing you found out about somebody through handwriting analysis? Is there something that stands out? Well, in you, your... you can find out a lot about the person's history. An example? I, I don't mean a specific example. Meaning... I'll give you an example. Sure. Uh, when you go below the line and you come back up, usually the, the loop crosses somewhere. So the idea being that where that loop crosses, uh, that person had some level of trauma. Because the ideal place where it should cross is right at the line. So you can tell that. What, what has been the most uncanny when I would speak in uh, different hotels and so on is you can indicate there are indications of uh, a physical malady, cancer, wow. a, to- uh, a tumor, uh, a migraine. And very often I will ask someone if they have migraines and they will be shocked and uh, you know, there's an indication in the handwriting and so on and, and or and or indications of uh, any other kinds of physical ailments. That's always shocking to people. Can you do handwriting analysis in other languages than English? Yes. It, do they follow the same rules? They follow the same rules, obviously, for uh, Hebrew, Arabic, that go from left to right. The idea is... Well, right to left, they would be, right? Right, you just uh, you know, the transverse. Right, but in terms of height and curves and loops, etc., etc., Right, but when you have figurative languages, we have languages that use uh, pictures, whether it's Japanese, Chinese, and so on, it's, it's slightly different. Meaning you can still do it? You can still do it. I'm not an expert in that. Is there any language that stumps you? I'm talking about the conventional ones as far as we're concerned, not, not those like, uh, that are figurative like Chinese or Japanese. No, but what's critical is to know what the first language that person wrote in. Right. So... For example, if someone was a European and they first wrote, whether it's French or even British uh, English, it's critical to know that because there are little nuances in the in writing that, that uh, is particular to certain languages. Do either so, or both of the mayoral candidates read a lot? Uh, absolutely. One or both? They, they both read a lot, but Joseph Loda reads a lot more. Interesting. And you could tell that from his signature. Mm-hmm. Pretty amazing. I thank Dr. Ari Kornblit. He is uh, a handwriting analyst who has uh, done something really cool. Check out this week's Jewish Press. You'll see it right in front of you. He's analyzed the signatures of uh, Bill de Blasio and Joseph Loda and has drawn conclusions about uh, about the type of people that they are. Information, you can contact Dr. Ari Kornblit and... Uh, Bring him to your home to start analyzing your uh, handwriting and your kid's handwriting. He's at 212-721-4608, 212-721-4608. By the way, is there a minimum age, meaning it's it's hard to... Uh, Not at all. Uh, you, know, you, you can tell something... You can tell from the drawing. And just interestingly, as an aside, a lot of parents will analyze the children's handwriting you know, for drug use. That's something you could pick up. Absolutely. What does it say to you that the first letter of my name when I sign my kid's assignment takes up almost the entire page, which I do as a joke, but you would say? You're an outstanding individual. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. Wait till you see a picture of it. You may change your mind. <laughs> and I'll tell you another thing, and the next time we speak, maybe, maybe we'll do it live in the studio, because my manager, Miriam Wallach, wanted me to actually send you her signature 
uh, in advance so that we could uh, speak about her on the show. But I didn't know if that was appropriate to give out all the secrets about her in this context. But I, I am fascinated to see what how you will react when you see my two different signatures, the one I use for official documents and the one that – because they are completely different. I mean, they are just yeah, completely unrelated. And obviously, based on what you've told us over the last 25 minutes, uh, they are a lot closer than I think they are. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Kornblit. My pleasure. Thank you, Nachum. Great speaking to you. Dr. Ari Kornblit here at the uh, at Spin Class with uh, Michael Fragan. Tonight I get the opportunity to sub for him. I am highly recommending this article entitled Making the Right Choice, this week's Jewish Press, page 6. Dr. Ari Kornblit is available to you uh, as a graphologist, handwriting expert, and Supreme Court certified document examiner by dialing 212-721-4608, 212 4608 spin class i know a little bit of a different angle huh here at the nahum siegel network michael fragan is back in two weeks when the once the new york city mayoralty has been decided the future of the new york city mayoralty uh, i am here next week in his stead which will be the week before uh the week before um uh, election day and uh we'll have a i'm sure an interesting lineup of people who will analyze the upcoming election that's for sure and um, and then the following week he'll be back, and it'll be interesting to hear his perspective on this whole campaign and everything that's gone on. I opened by uh, mentioning to the listeners, to all of us uh, here in the studio and those of you tuned in, home, on the road, etc., that uh, the scary part, if in fact it is scary, I'm not so sure that's the right word, but the, 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 the thing that amazes me about this entire race and this entire campaign is it seems that there's so much disinterest. There is just uh, too much disinterest in the campaign. And that is uh, worrisome, and it's uh, it's hard to believe in a lot of ways. And to discuss that and so many other aspects of what's happening out there, the host of Spin Class, Michael Fragan, is with us live via telephone. Michael, welcome to Spin Class, your very own program. Good evening, Nachum. Thanks for keeping it warm. Yeah, I don't know if you heard anything that we just did. We had a fascinating half hour with Ari Kornblit analyzing the handwriting of Joseph Loda and Bill de Blasio. In a lot of ways, we have similar candidates. In a lot of ways, we have very different candidates. It was really an interesting conversation. Uh, there's no question. I think that they should possibly have that as a fourth debate. <laughs> yeah, analyze the handwriting. Where are you now, at an event or, or what? How is your day starting, I hope it is starting, to wind down? Well, I think you know how it started. It started quite early um, to try and get to Jersey City. For, uh, I, I think there's uh, this place called WFMU. Yeah, it was a great visit, and a lot of people are talking about it, frankly. It was. It was fun. It was fun. But, you know, we're at that time of year that it's a little bit, uh, you're right in between as far as when you can actually dive in. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I made a quick pit stop in Manhattan on the way out to Jersey City to try and get there. And then you guys started without me. That's a little uh, little known factor, right? I'll tell the audience. Well, I will tell you that um, in my when you're sitting in my chair and you say to yourself, you know what, if I start right now, I'll probably get three, four extra minutes with a major candidate for the New York City mayoralty. I'm going for it. So I apologize, but uh, at least... That's, you... a, that's okay. I figured that uh, you would never give up that opportunity to have a couple more seconds of uh, talking. Exactly. And we got to ask a lot of interesting questions this morning. Uh, I, 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 I have been emphasizing during this hour... And next week will be my final week in this chair where we'll really analyze what's happening pre-election. But I, I, I um, have been emphasizing this hour what uh, I mentioned, uh, I think I said it on the air this morning, 
And to me, it's a little bit scary. It's a little bit strange. We are 12 days before the election. It seems not too many people care about this race. And the reason that it's so unusual is that there's no incumbent. There's no incumbent. I have seen races that that wallow in it or wallow, whatever the word is, in relative obscurity when there's an incumbent involved. But when there's but when there's going to be a choice made by New York City residents for a complete change in City Hall, I would think there'd be a bit more interest, especially 12 days before. Now, frankly, today, nature of the day and the way it started, as you said, I'm starting to feel a little bit more. But that may just be because of the type of day I had uh, speaking with Joe Loda face-to-face. Are you at all feeling at an energy where forget about who they're voting for, but that people are starting to care a bit more? Well, I certainly hope so. I, I, I think it's a self-selected group of the people who approach me with regard to the election, ask me questions about the election, or email me about the election, and so and, and the like. I think that that is kind of a, you know, people who are already interested, but there's no question that there's a lot of, we're getting into the time where you know, there's kind of some stark choices that need to be made, and I think this week's debate kind of brought them out there into the fore. People can now see you know, some stark differences between the, between the candidates and their policies and how they want to move forward with the city. Uh, so there's no question that people, uh, people need to start really considering and thinking about the future and how it's going to be for the next four years. And... Uh, you know, on, on so many issues, whether they be public safety, whether they be education, taxes, their finances, you know, uh, pensions in the city, all these things are at stake, and there are some differences out there. So I hope people are paying attention by now. Uh, what were, do we have any idea what the ratings were for these first two debates? Does anyone know if it, if it pushed any numbers and, and you know, if, in, if interest increased one week to the next? Do we, anybody know? I mean, I'm sure somebody knows, but I have no idea, and I didn't research it. But I'm I'm curious if you, do you have you been told anything about numbers in terms of people watching them? Uh, no, I I haven't heard anything. It's probably something we can check, but uh, I oh, haven't heard anything. Believe me, it's usually, one of the. It's, usually, the first debate gets the highest ratings. That's that's the rule of thumb, but that's the, it's not necessarily that. Way. See, I think it's going to be the opposite this time. I think the one closest to the election is going to get the most viewers. And again, because of the same theory that I've been talking about throughout this program, that I, I have to assume that at some point more people are going to wake up and say, you know what, there's an election, I'm going to start paying a little bit more attention. Well, one would hope so. And I think uh, we closed the interview this morning, and uh, Joe Loda said this morning that for people that just remember to vote. If right. whoever fast, even if you don't vote for him, if you don't vote for somebody else, you should exercise your right. And that's something that's really important in the Jewish community out there, that we have some very, some very specific interests. Uh, whether you're, uh, you know, you know, consider yourself Orthodox, whether or not, whether you're part of the Sassanian community, uh, or, or not, there, there, we all have a big stake in the outcome. And, uh, if you send your kids to Yeshiva in particular, that's a huge issue. If you get special ed services, that's a huge issue. And these things are real. These things are at stake. These things are really affect families and kids, and they affect uh, our neighborhoods. Michael Fragan with us live via telephone. He's, of course, with Joe Loda. Is it a busy night tonight? Uh, it is a busy night. Uh, Joe is actually speaking to the Juniper Park Civic Association. 
uh, and that is a uh, really very significant civic association in Middle Village, Queens, a very organized area. Uh, I don't know if uh, people take a little detour off the LIE right around like 69th Street. Uh, that's uh, that's the Juniper Park area, uh, and he's there. He also did a forum, which is interesting, and I'll just bring this up because he did a forum this afternoon with uh, an organization known as 100 Black Men, which is a uh, which is a an organization that you know, tries to get the African American community more involved in politics and civic life. And 100 Black Men had a mayoral forum. They invited both candidates to appear. And uh, as seems to be the custom these days, uh, Joe Loda came and uh, Bill de Blasio did not. Interesting. Uh, Michael, to your knowledge, is there any specific endorsement that to this point Joe Loda is most proud of? Is there one that he has cited like, uh, you know, that would, that, that would be the one that meant the most to him? And that's an unfair question. I know we don't want to insult anybody else, but is there one over the last few days where you said, that, where you saw that he took its significance very seriously? An endorsement over the last couple of days. I, I mean, I, I think we're very proud of the, of the, you know, current supporter. I think there's no question that, uh, Joe has a very close and long relationship with, uh, former Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and there's right. no question, I, I would say, if you had to identify a political endorsement or a political rabbi, if you will, that would certainly be Mayor Giuliani. Uh, I can't think of one specific going on now, but the, the dynamic in the city is pretty interesting right now as far as endorsements are concerned. I think that you know, because of the big gap in the polls, uh, there are quite a few people out there who are either on the sidelines or have become a little bit gun-shy. Uh, this week we had a situation where the, the public safety unions, being the, the police unions, uh, they, re- they basically said, well, we're not going to endorse de Blasio because of stop and frisk, and we're very angry at him about that. However, you know, we feel that right now Loda is too far behind to risk angering de Blasio. Right. So they're kind of in that middle in that middle uh, point between endorsing. So it seems obviously they'd prefer to endorse Joe Loda. they prefer their membership would probably prefer to endorse Joe Loda, but they're not actually doing it uh, because of the gap in the polls. And, you know, to an extent, that's uh, the self-fulfilling prophecy of that gap. I know you have to go, but let me just ask you, will we see Rudy at Joe Loda's side over the next 12 days? Uh, we certainly will. And um, it'll be obvious to everyone that there will be enthusiastic support when they're together. There's no question about there's very enthusiastic support. Because and I, I said this morning, and it didn't come out this way, but I think he got the message. I, I, if he wants to win, to win, I think, as opposed to the way the media is portraying it, I think he has to emphasize that we do want to go back to the time of Rudy Giuliani. Because I think there are a significant number of people in New York City who would embrace that, who would want to go ahead and and have the type of city that we had in the mid and late 90s? Well, look, there, there are people uh, who, who possibly feel comfortable uh, taking that no radio sign out of mothballs that they might have sewed right. in a storage space one, somewhere, and they might put it out there. But no, I, I'm, just, I'm being a little bit flip with regard to it. I think that from my perspective and a lot of people's perspective, and I was in... Uh, I was in YU uh, for Rudy's 93 campaign, and I volunteered. 
and uh, I was very happy that I did, but I think there's no question that he contributed to a real renaissance for New York City. Okay. And I think you said that he made neighborhoods that were off-limits, Correct. even during the daytime. Correct. All of a sudden, people could start going there, and they, it really opened up uh, a lot of the city. And there's no question, I think, no matter wh- what ethnic group you belong to, no matter who you are, public safety is a is an objective issue. Right. I don't I don't think we need to really, there's really, you know, to borrow from that old LaGuardiaism of there's no uh, Democratic-Republican way to pick up the garbage. Right. I think that's, the, the bottom line is that it, the responsibility of government is to make sure the citizenry is safe and that they can do things without fear of, uh, without fear, essentially. Tell them to use it in commercials and debates where people could not walk during the day, their kids can now walk at night. Thank you, Mr. Uh, Fragan. I think it's great. I think it's great. Thank you, Malcolm. Always a pleasure. Michael Fragan is the host of Spin Class. He's with Joe Loda. I thank him for his extended time tonight and joining us during his uh, very busy schedule. And um, next week, we are going to uh, examine this uh, election because it is the election of all elections right now, although unfortunately too many New York City residents don't feel that way. <laughs> uh, we're going to examine this election uh, closely, it'll be practically election eve, the Thursday night before the Tuesday election. And uh, then the week after that, Michael Fragan is back here with Spin Class. Follow us on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. Follow us on the Facebook update page, Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel. Earlier today, I had the opportunity to speak with New York City mayoral candidate Joe Loda. It was over at JM and the AM. Here's an excerpt of that as we start to wind down our program for this evening, Spin Class on the Nahum Siegel Network. Now he is the Republican candidate for the mayoral of, for the mayoralty of New York City. I refer, of course, to Joe Loda. He is here in our studio on a Thursday morning at JM and the AM. Mr. Loda, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Good morning. I appreciate that. It's great to have you here. And uh, I want to, I want to, not that I could advise a campaign, because who am I to advise? To advise anybody. Why would you be different than anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> but here's what I want you to do. Here's what I would like you to do. I, I want you to get up in front of New York City and say, let me tell you the Nahum Siegel story. <laughs> I moved to Manhattan on November the 7th, 1989, the day after I got married. And the area where I live... I still live there now. And the area I live was a very difficult area and very challenging. Mm-hmm. I had four cars stolen in the first two years that I lived there. There are streets, I'm specifically speaking of, I'm sure you're familiar with it, Clinton and Delancey, where I would never have walked during the day. Mm-hmm. Now my kids can walk at night. Right. And that, to me, is the story of New York City over the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. I noticed this morning in one of the papers that when it comes to public safety, you are trusted, according to the polls, more than your opponent or anybody else who's been in this race over the last few months. I would think public safety is the number one concern. Then why are things not different? Uh, public safety is a concern, uh, depending on what communities you go into. Other communities, it's about jobs. They want to make sure that they can be employed and their children can be employed. But I've been talking about public safety for a long time, and I've been talking about how I believe uh, my opponent's views on public safety are reckless. Uh, it will send us back to an era that we don't ever want to go back to. Uh, I'll be having a press conference later today at the right outside the 6-7 precinct in Brooklyn, which is starting to see uh, over a 100% increase in shootings in the last month. Um, that type of situation requires to, an attention uh, from the mayor and from the police commissioner 
And I actually believe that my opponent, Mr. de Blasio, really doesn't have any plans other than to enhance the relationship between the NYPD and the community. I don't know of anyone, any of the 8.3 or 8.4 million people in New York who would disagree that we need better relationships between the government and the people. NYPD in the communities, every agency in the communities, there is a complete disconnect right now between um, the government and all of uh, the communities in the city. That being said, um, you need specific plans. You need dynamic plans. One of the things that I know about public safety is that the police department needs to keep changing its strategies and its tactics to stay one step ahead of the criminal element. If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, criminal elements are way too smart. They'll find a way around it. And this is not, even though we're speaking in this forum, this is not a Jewish issue. I would assume this topic <laughs> comes up in every single community and neighborhood that you've approached over the last few months. It's a New York issue. It's, it's not to any particular community, though, every, because every community is affected by rising crime. Simple as that. It's as simple as that. And therefore, I think the best strategy and the best message is to continuously say, hey, we are going back. We are going back to, you know, the early 90s and Giuliani Bratton and, you know, say what you will. But we need it. New York City needs it. It's the, look, I believe, and I'm sure this is no revelation to you, the economic success of the city and the incredible and amazing run that the city is on is, is mostly because of what happened during that period and, and how much public safety was taken seriously. There's no doubt in my mind that everything great that's happened in New York over the last 20 years began with the reduction in crime. Uh, businesses feel that you can invest in New York City again. Uh, you know, people feel that they can walk down the streets at night. I no longer have a sign in my car that says no radio. Uh, it's right. just little things like that. <laughs> or walking out of my apartment on the Upper West Side of Manhattan uh, before I moved to Brooklyn and, and listening to this crunching of glass, which I found out were crack vials underneath my feet. Uh, you know, we, we can't go back to those days where New York was a dangerous place. Right. And, you know, unfortunately, 40% of the electorate today uh, does not was not in New York 20 years ago. So right. we have a very, very different and changing demographic. When you tell someone who's 35 years old what New York was like 20 years ago when they were 15 and living somewhere else, they think it's like a bad, they think it's science fiction. Um, they have no recognition of what New York was like. You know, when they, if they watch the movie Taxi, for example, right. they absolutely believe that it's fiction um, and that it's not, you know, based on some level of fact. New York was a very, very different place. And that was the point I was bringing up in my commercial mm-hmm. on how I believe Mr. de Blasio is recklessly dangerous when it comes to public safety issues. Look, everyone knows I have a great relationship with Mr. de Blasio. I thought the commercial, though, was quite appropriate. Images from the past were 100% accurate as images tend to be, and that's the way New York was. And you just met someone this morning, my son, who does not know New York like the way you're describing it. He only knows New York and lower Manhattan to be a flourishing area that's attracting people in their 20s and 30s, just keep moving in and spending money and building businesses. It's a much, much different place. I'd like to give your son a documentary of what happened in Tompkins Square Park, oh, right where you live. That's I don't right. know if you go in there, but there was a time when <laughs> you would stay a block away because of all the activity or all of the criminal activity that happened Correct. in Square Park. And now they're biking over there and walking through there and having the greatest time in places look, look, like that. Look, that. that's the beauty of the reduction in crime. We are going to parts of New York City that we never thought we would go to before, whether it's on the Lower East Side 
or look at what's going on in Williamsburg right. in the old industrial areas Green of Point. Williamsburg. I mean, it is Greenpoint, Long Island City, uh, the gentrification that's going on in Crown Heights, and, and which is causing some issues for the community as well. Right. I realize that. Uh, but what's happening is that it's moving out. And actually, I think one of the greatest beneficiaries is the borough I live in, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Brooklyn is on a roll. It's in its ascendancy. Uh, it's, it creates more jobs than any other borough. It's populous. It's uh, a great place now to live. When I moved to Brooklyn 25 years ago, it was always, I used to say this, it was easier for me to go to Manhattan than it was for anybody from Manhattan to go to Brooklyn. Right. You know, it's like, you know, going through requiring a passport. <laughs> the world has changed now. It's the hot spot. D.A. Hines was here this week. We spoke about Red Hook and the amazing transformation there. And he claims that Brownsville's next. I said, Brownsville? You know, you just mentioned the words 20 years ago and people would start to shudder in fear. And he says that he predicts that that same type of transformation can take place in a neighborhood like that. Brownsville, it, it is amazing to me. I've heard the same thing. It's great. For me, Brownsville conjures up. The, right. Remember the school strike? Remember exactly. it started in Brownsville? Sure. Uh, look, I um, there's so much great going on. And, again, it started with the reduction in crime. I'm not satisfied with where the levels of crime are now. It needs to go lower. Uh, accepting the status quo is something I've never done in my life before, and we need to make it safer. We every now and then see spurts up in crime, and then the police department focuses on it, and it goes down. We need to get illegal guns off the street. I will make it a very, very important initiative to do everything we can to prevent illegal guns from coming into the city of New York. And I applaud uh, Commissioner Kelly for what he's doing. He's actually now sending offices down south to the Carolinas and other states that are actually uh, sending guns or people are running guns up here from those states. And those guns are killing New Yorkers. It's got to stop. Joe Lotus here. He's running as a Republican in the New York City primary, New York City mayor election 12 days from now. We are about to hit a very significant anniversary. Uh, this coming Tuesday, we're actually broadcasting from Achiezer. You know that they uh, did an amazing job in the aftermath of Hurricane or, or Superstorm Sandy. I can't say Hurricane because too many of my friends who had hurricane insurance couldn't collect the penny. Instead, that they're you know they're, they're suffering. But that's a that's a whole whole other issue. Um, that, that I'll take up with Governor Christie since they're uh, suffering here in New Jersey from that. Um, but the uh, I read the, early this morning. I read some of the articles that were written about you. Uh, in regard to Superstorm Sandy, you did very well through that episode, to say the least. As the uh, and and the and and the proof is in the pudding, because it, it seems to me that uh, that um, columnists of all uh, of all political persuasions acknowledge the fact that uh, that you really helped the city bounce back very quickly from that. Did, are we overreacting now during this first anniversary? I know that there are plans and we have to spend billions for infrastructure, but with the rarity, the relative rarity of these storms, are we overreacting, overreacting now a year later? No, I don't think we are. In fact, I think we're underreacting throughout the entire year. Uh, we lost 43 humans during that storm, 43 humans that we all miss today. Uh, quite honestly, uh, I'm amazed at the lack of concern about what's going on in the Rockaways and in the southern part of Brooklyn and the south shore of Staten Island. We still have, one year later, people not able to go into their homes. Uh, there's something dysfunctional about our federal government, our state government, and our city government that they make it difficult to pass money along to the people to renovate their homes. You know, we're... Uh, I want to be as mayor, somebody like General George Patton. I want to take charge. I want to make sure that we, uh, as a city of New York, when we have storms like this again, uh, and God forbid we pull, we do everything we do to make the city resilient. But 
our response to what has happened uh, needs to be a lot better than what we have just gone through. Uh, I'm, it's embarrassing. It, I think it is, and, and I might be the only one out there, but I actually believe uh, people should not be out of their homes one year later. The Broadwalk in, in, um, out in Rockaways should be done and finished. Chris Christie got his done. Why can't we get ours done? Uh, it really, really concerns me about where we went. But by the way, your comments about the MTA and right. how it did, look, all of the all of the great accolades belong to the men and women of the transit authority the unionized members they are the ones who were positioned all throughout the system they are the ones who got the system up and running again because it was their ideas about what to do if salt water goes into the subway system they took out of a lot of, a lot of electronics all of which would have been ruined by the salt water uh it was all taken out on the last train coming back and they had it back up and running on Thursday morning uh we also sent you know, pictures out all throughout the storm showing people the damage that was being suffered at both the subway system as well as the Long Island Railroad and Metro North. And I think most people concluded when they saw that damage that it was going to be a really long time. Well, let me tell you, I saw the men and women of the Transit Authority rally uh, because they, to a person, um, they all love their job, and they love their job because they know five and a half million people take the subway every day. And it's an amazing number. Our city could not operate without a, a subway system. And so, of course, it's not a perfect system. There's nothing perfect in this world. But don't forget, the subway system was designed in the late 1890s. It opened in 1908. Uh, it's been around for a long, long period of time. I think one of the things that allowed it to come back so quickly was it's built, how strong it was built, mm-hmm. and the simplicity in which it was built. Uh, that's not to say that the men and women did not focus. Boy, did they ever. And they need, I really mean this. I say this to every subway worker I ever see. I still, still to this day, thank them for what they did because they got the city up on its feet uh, in a relatively short period of time. But it's interesting that you cite first the preparation that they made in advance mm-hmm. and the ingenuity they used with the preparation. There are city agencies that unfortunately did not prepare well for the storm, and uh, maybe if they would have paid more attention or used the same type of ingenuity, we would have been better off. You know, uh, throughout the Giuliani administration, uh, when I was first budget director and helping to create the Office of Emergency Management, and then when I was deputy mayor, we did numerous tabletop exercises as to what we would do as a city in the event of all kinds of uh, uh, disasters. They could have been man-made or they could have been Mother Nature. We, we, you know, we, we planned for what we would do in a hurricane. We planned for what we would do in various different terrorist incidents. We planned for what would happen if someone put sarin gas in the subway system or if we had some level of a nuclear event in New York. How would we operate? How would we evacuate? How would we make sure food comes into the city of New York? What would happen if our water system was impeded in any way? How would we be able to work in that environment? Um, when I got to the MTA, uh, one of the very first things I did is sit down with everybody and say, you know, what are our contingency plans in the event that we have a disaster? And you can divine, define the disaster in any number of ways, but the planning and the preparation is so important. And here's why. The last thing you want in the middle of a crisis of any kind is somebody, especially a senior person, coming into you and saying, hey, boss, what do I do now? Mm-hmm. Everybody needs to know what they need to do, and you need to train for it. You need to practice for it, because while some people will say, "Well, it may never happen," uh, that doesn't make me comfortable. It <laughs> may happen, and let's let's be ready. We've learned that lesson too many times. Joe Loda is here, running for on the uh, 
5th of November, running for New York City mayor on the Republican side. Uh, you discussed how public safety is uh, is directly responsible in so many ways for the flourishing of New York City. The educational system, in many ways, is responsible for what New York City's makeup is and what it looks like years from now. Uh, is the uh, How do you view the way Mayor Bloomberg over the last 12 years has handled the New York City Department of Education? I think Mayor Bloomberg, who was very successful in getting uh, mayoral control, uh, has done a good job, but we have to do a better job. You know, again, as I said, I don't like anything that's called status quo. We've got to now – look, there have been a lot of administrative changes within the department. I think the mayor uh, and his chancellors have done a very, very good job. We now have to kick it up a step. Uh, because our children need to be the focus of our education system. I still think we have bloat within the Department of Education. We still need to figure out why we have so many people working there. Uh, I will work closely with the teachers. I will do my very best to work closely with the teachers' union. Uh, but I think the key to success is making sure that our teachers have the resources and the training necessary all to become excellent teachers. No question about it. I'm married to a New York City public school teacher. She's doing quite well, so I can tell you there's some great people in the system. Absolutely, there are great sure. people, and I want them all to be great. And, you know, I it pains me, you know, that the union will fight for all teachers regardless of how good they are. I mean, the, the amount, the millions of dollars we spend in paying salaries for people in the rubber room, it's outrageous. Right. It's like $24 million a year right. in salaries that paid for, for teachers that are not allowed in the classroom. Um, in general, about the campaign, I, I I often say to my children, especially those who entertain the idea of going into politics or are enamored with the idea of politics, I, I exactly that's that's exactly what I tell them. I, I say that you know to work for somebody who's in public office to make a difference behind the scenes that's to me admirable and tolerable. But to be out there in the public eye. With the scrutiny that's out there and the way that you are. A long excerpt from my conversation earlier today with Joe Loda. And if you want to hear the, uh, the rest of it and the answer that, uh, he gave regarding whether he encourages people to go into politics or not, you could certainly, uh, hear it by heading to the archive section of jmandtheam.org. I want to thank Michael Fragan. I want to thank Dr. Ari Kornblit and Michael Fragan, who were guests of ours tonight. And I want to thank Michael for allowing me to sit in this chair. And to keep it warm for this week and next as uh, we get ready for his return after the uh, election, after the uh, mayoral election on the 5th of November. You are listening to Spin Class on the Nahum Siegel Network. We have a big day again tomorrow on the network between our Kedem presentation of the incredible Arab Shabbos music mix. Malcolm Honline joining me on JM and the AM. Other great things happening on JM and the AM, including a report from Chevron as well and plenty more. Make sure to be tuned in Friday to our stream all day long at jmandtheam.org. Thank you for listening to Spin Class, everybody. It's much appreciated. You are listening to the Nahum Siegel Network.